Welcome to Story Talking, episode 48. My name is Laksh. I started Launchora and I host this podcast called Story Talking, where I talk to a new storyteller every week. Uh, this week, my guest is Sanjoy Roy, who is the founder and managing director of Teamwork Arts, which is a company that is has had a major role in uh, putting Indian art, culture, performing arts, visual arts, theater on onto the world stage. They are responsible for the Jaipur Literature Festival, which has been running uh, for over 10 years now in Jaipur and went from uh, a small room uh, with footfall of about 7,000 in its first year to now being almost at half a million uh, people. And uh, the other teamwork arts is, is, has done so many amazing shows all over the world, uh, theater, music, concerts, uh, puppet shows. Uh, it's really amazing. So this was a real treat to be able to talk to Sanjoy. He is uh, a very inspiring person. He's a master storyteller himself who has a national award uh, for a film he made. And, well, this is two weeks in a row we've had national award-winning director. That's amazing. So uh, we recorded this yesterday, and uh, Sanjay was was uh, going to the airport to get on a flight to Turkey. So towards the end, we had just a little bit of a, of a poor connection with Skype. So, but it's not that noticeable. Just wanted to let you know why. Uh, at some point, you may not be able to hear uh, him fully, but it's completely worth. Uh, listening to. So, hope you guys enjoy it. Here is episode 48 of Story Talking with Sanjoy Roy. So, I did some of my, uh, well, most of my life, I must say, I've now been in Delhi. So, 35 mm. years of my life, I've been in Delhi. But I've also lived between, I've schooled in London and, and Bombay. And uh, yeah, London, Bombay. Delhi primarily. I'm a Bong from Calcutta. We have our traditional family homes in Calcutta, but right. never lived there. Um, my parents have never lived there, etc. But, you know, it's still home in many ways. Right. And the, the association with the Bengali culture, is that something that your family was always... Um, you know, if you're a Bong, as they say, you know, you have culture in your bloodstream, but that's yeah. true of most of India as well. You know, the fact that uh, everything from, I mean, from cradle to grave, uh, Indians have, uh, you know, they dance and sing their way and every, all 1.3 billion of us think that we can tell a story, sing a song, yeah. uh, have a poem or, or something to relate. And it's it's very rare if you look across the world, the kind of diversity that we have, uh, be it languages or craft traditions or just our, our religious festivals, which have always formed the mainstay of uh, uh, India's diversity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's huge. And uh, unlike most Western uh, cultures where um, culture is really, I mean, classical cultures are kept alive through subsidy, you know, whether it's the operas or the uh, uh, the orchestras, etc. Yeah. In India, uh, even today, young people not just in India, but across the diaspora, choose to go to learn their Kathak or uh, choose to uh, 
uh, pick up a Carnatic uh, violin form or, you know, classical, right. Hindustani classical, etc. So that's that's rare. And it's not that it's state supported, but it is very much part of our classical tradition in so many different ways, which is what makes it so exciting. Mm -hmm. Why is it, do you think, that it is, even today, despite the internet being, letting everyone be able to become a storyteller, why do you think that the Indian culture is still, their parents are hesitant to let their kids go into the arts? As a profession? As a profession, yes. Well, I think that I think that's changed. I mean, I give you an example. You know, where, when I was in um, when I was in in university and post that, when I used to run a theater company and I was to get married, I remember my father-in-law saying, "So, young man, what's what? What do you do?" So I said, "I do theater." And he's saying, "No, no, no like, what's your day job kind of stuff?" <laughs> yeah. And sure, at that point of time, it was an adventure, and uh, you know, maybe the jury is out on how that adventure for most people will translate, but really television shows and Bollywood and, you know, all of these reality TV talent shows that have come up yeah. in music or dance or whatever has actually cap uh, catapulted a lot of young people hmm. center stage. So middle-class India, I'd be surprised if there's a hesitation there. Okay. And we see, I mean, even in terms of when we audition or when we see new programs, Earlier, people in the arts would definitively come from a particular economic background because they could they could uh, afford yeah. uh, to do that. Today, young people taking to the arts literally comes from all kinds of backgrounds, you know, mm -hmm. and, and not necessarily economically affluent, but they come from the smaller towns and smaller cities and semi-rural uh, or semi-urban settings, etc. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the huge difference. And more and more, if you even look at the events industry, and, you know, I wear a, a hat uh, as a president of one of these, of, of the industry association for events and whatever, we're seeing people across the length and breadth of the country sort of taking to this, perhaps because it seems easy to do, Mm -hmm. But also because intrinsically everybody wants to be involved in some way in the doing of something, the making of something in a creative process, part of the larger cultural scenario, etc. Right. And my submission always has been that if you look at India, over 400 million people uh, get either a primary or a secondary income from uh, uh, the creative industry. So everything from the ragi in the Gurdwara uh, mm -hmm. to the Dal maker from the you know the Ganeshan Durga uh, idol makers to the weavers in Banaras to mm -hmm. the itinerant musicians etc. Because these have always been uh, tasks that agrarian economies have looked to between mm -hmm. hubs. You know when there was flood or when there's drought, they leave their 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 states with their stories and you know travel to other places like the Baals and the Manganias or the mm -hmm. Langas. And uh, I think there's much more acceptability today uh, within the larger classical framework. Sure, places like theater become stepping stone to film. Right. You know, for example, Bombay is very much like that. And where middle class goes is where they, you know, the family is more accountants and lawyers or engineers driven. Yes, I'm sure that they will be, you know, many eyebrows being raised uh, at, at the thought that their uh, 
child is going to be now working in in you know in the creative arts but right. i do believe there's lots more opportunities out there lots more jobs uh, i mean look at the stand up comic industry it didn't even exist uh, right. even 7 or 8 years ago today it's thriving uh, people can make their living off it uh, similarly writers uh, musicians etc so you know it, it's getting there right you know? Uh, I think there's a there's a huge change decade by decade, and uh, so that's great. So uh, back when you were, let's say, when you were a teenager, had you already were you already integrated into the creative? arts or what was what did you want to do when you were you know 15 16 you know so it was never a question of what i wanted or didn't want to do necessarily i mean uh, you know most of what's happened with me is more accidental than by choice mm-hmm. i mean i didn't want to go to st stevens for example but you know uh, i did right uh, i didn't uh, i wanted to study philosophy but my father and uh, uh, and then sk singh and the prin- then principal rajpal weren't enthused at all that I was looking at philosophy and I remember in the interview they said why philosophy and I said because I don't know any anything about it yeah. and they said but we think you should do english or history and I'm going no fucking way am I doing that <laughs> uh, you know because I've been there done that and I find it boring and I want to yeah. do something I don't know so much of it is accidental but in terms of the arts you know I used to play the violin uh, when I was in london I picked up the violin and I had a very very wonderful teacher there who thought I was going to be a great prodigy of course I wasn't and I mm-hmm. didn't certainly when I came back to india but I was always involved in cathedral in bombay I was always in, involved in theater um in you know, so many different ways it, it was always a calling it was always a passion and <clears throat> even when I went finished <coughs> school in university where I was very much can part of part of theater um you know in our times everybody had to go to america so i did apply to berkeley and stony brook and blah 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 to do yeah sophie your mfa but then when my admission came and the scholarships came and i chose not to go because i said how can i abandon my theater company and you know so stayed on committed myself to the arts and yeah. you know as they say the rest is history so what when was the time that you jumped in 100% into being like okay now i've this course has been set and this is going to be my journey i mean you know about since college i you know like i said i i in college i became part of theater action group i started yeah. running i was its uh, manager and actor and blah 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 i started running it immediately after i became its executive director so there was never a question of doing anything else right right except we set up we set up what was tag tv then and teamwork films primarily to to provide employment opportunities for our colleagues in theater mm-hmm. uh, you know and therefore we set up the television and film company as a corollary or an extension to that and i got into film primarily because my father in law not being convinced that i was you know doing any kind of job per se right. was like I have to get a job young man and i'm like you know why and he's like how will you support my daughter and i'm like but oh, there's no question of supporting your daughter your daughter runs a you know manages a big company and she's supposed to support me that's the understanding <laughs> so you know i'm yeah. not sure you got confused but obviously that didn't quite work with him right television had just opened up and bobby bedi had been coming to me a lot of times saying that will you please you know direct our series or direct this film or the other 
and then finally i said okay and you know that's where it started from so in that sense it was you know purely a, uh, an uh, an accident of opportunities that came by and uh, uh, but would i ever be able to do anything else unlikely you mm. know would I do a bank job no and very early i was very clear that uh, you know this was a lifestyle choice i was making and sure i wouldn't necessarily have a jet or a uh you know yacht or whatever but yeah. i was do this and given that i that i came from a an extremely uh, you know in 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 university i used to be very much part of the quasi left movement till my brother one day and i'd written a long letter to my dad saying that how i was planning to drop out of uh, st stevens in university in the first year not that i'd been to i hadn't attended even one class hmm. uh, but because um i wanted to go and work in the villages of bihar and uttar pradesh and my brother one day my elder brother one day came to me and said um you do know that they don't have air conditioning in the huts there and you know the only way, the only way you're going to be a naxalite is if you have an air conditioned car out of which you can lob bombs so <laughs> so that sort of reality set in and i was like yeah. hmm yeah, maybe that's a slight problem kind of stuff so uh, you know the rest uh, rest was sort of more accidental than who were uh, your the people like did you have mentors when you were starting out people who were inspiring you well, well you know barry john was the creative director of theater action right. group and, you know he was in many ways uh, you know a person who fashioned at least my theater side of it in school uh, mrs jeffries in cathedral uh, you know incredible passionate impassioned uh, theater person Uh, Miss Krishnan, Prem Krishnan, in Delhi Public School in Delhi, who again enormously influential and really worked to uh, harness my passion and and, and enthusiasm in theatre mm. and writing and so on and so forth. And you know my professors in in St Stephen's, uh, Vijay Tankar, Dr Gupta, Dr Bora. These are people who shaped my thinking process and. Right. Process of looking at inclusivity in so many different ways, and you know, everything that goes with uh, you know thinking out of the box. And, uh, I mean, because I never used to attend class. Primarily, I was in and out of protests and jails and stuff like that. They used to come, you know, pre-exams, and we used to sit either in my room or the cafe or in the lawn or you know go off for a holiday together, where they used to teach me. So. Yeah. was always sort of unconventional in especially in the model that you see today uh, you know and yeah they would be certainly my influences and you know I'm a, my, i i was lucky to have brought up my parents well who never had an opportunity to sort of say you know we want you to do this so we want you to do that and uh, yeah. you know they were always extremely supportive somewhat physical but uh, certainly supportive so when you started uh, teamwork which was around 89 right 89 yeah so that was the year i was born wow <laughs> <laughs> the so almost 30 years in um first of all did you think this would be something you would end up doing for so long like specifically creating festivals you know showcasing indian indian art and culture was back then was it a larger dream or were you just being you know let's let's start this and see what happens I remember when we started teamwork films in 1989 as i said it was primarily to give employment to my right. colleagues theater 
And we were primarily a television and film company there. We weren't an arts company in that sense of the word. Mm. Uh, and while we continued to do arts on the side, our film thing was, you know, it was the days where there was no concept of a season. New channels had opened up. There was a huge opportunity. And by about 1995, we were running, uh, you know, 14 or 15 daily soaps, uh, uh, talk shows, food shows, game shows, puppet programs, theater programs. And these were all uh, used to run, you know, day after day, week after week, month after one, year after year. Uh, and uh, television in you know, those days, as it is now, uh, you know, has no emotion, has no feeling, has no sense of empathy for the people working in it. We just mm -hmm. had to produce. So every Saturday we used to have something called a Saturday afternoon meeting where I used to meet all my colleagues. And uh, it was in one of the meetings in 1995-96 that two of my colleagues walked into the room and said, you know, we are, we are uh, brain dead. And we can't do this anymore because we haven't, you know, we wake, we stay, we work till one o'clock in the morning. We wake up at six o'clock the next morning to get to a shoot. Yeah. And we do that. And then a moment of foolishness, I said, oh, okay, nobody wants to do this anymore. Hey guys, let's try and pack this bit of up and go back to the arts. Yeah. Forget for a second that we were used to making money or notional money yeah. every hour of hour. Um, and here, when we when we tried to shut down because we were obviously many of our programs were very very successful, uh, brought in channels lots of uh, lots of resources. So they were more than unhappy uh, uh, about us shutting down. But it took us six months. We nearly went bankrupt. But meanwhile, my my partner Mohit Satyanand and his sister Kanika and Valentine Shipley, a musician, had set up something called Friends of Music, and that was a platform that was set up as an alternative to Bollywood and an alternative to rock, mm. and everything in between. We said welcome, and that was very successful. And and all the world music bands that you see today, everything from Indian Ocean to Mrigya to you know Parikramas of the world, found their platform there in you know Silk Route, etc. And so we did the same thing in theatre, and we did the same thing in dance. And, um, you know, commission new work, got people to do interesting new things. And we had all of this content, but not enough platforms to actually showcase them at because they weren't platforms that existed. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, in 1995-96, my wife had an accident in Goa. And it was a pretty bad accident. And I hadn't cut my hair for a bit. And our eldest son one day came to me and said, you know, Dad, are you, are you planning to grow your hair? And I said, why? So he said, if you grow your hair, you can't come to my school. So I said, yes, no more parents today. And, you know, being told by the teachers how useless you are as a parent yeah. and stuff like that. So I said, absolutely. So I grew my hair. And my hair has always been more silver than, than black. And as a result of which, uh, across the world, it was a time of diversity. So, you know, I spoke their language, understood a little bit about the arts, had long hair, take the creativity box with them. Yeah. So I used to get invited to do lectures, you know across the UK and so on and so forth. And that helped build a network. And I used to visit so many festivals and I realized that, you know, wondered why we didn't, why we weren't able to address international festivals in the way that needed to be addressed professionally, mm -hmm. great production values, great marketing skills. So we set up our first uh, platform at the Edinburgh Festival in 1999-2000. And as they say, the rest is history. Igbar Safid Chapla Gyoyu. <laughs> you know, the white staff. And then Singapore had sort of invested uh, $1.3 billion into the arts infrastructure in Singapore. One of our colleagues, uh, Shweta, 
was going to be moving there. Singapore was very excited and enthused that we were coming to town. We helped them build a whole festival. And the rest sort of followed Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore, blah, blah, blah. So it's, in a sense, the formula was in place. The economic yeah. concept that we used was, you know, that you amortize costs as you tour a festival. So if you do Australia, you do five cities. So you amortize costs across that and you bring in income. But it wasn't until we started working in South Africa in 2004 or 2005 that did it really come to play itself out. And uh, that's when we realized that we had actually a great economic model, etc. And uh, continued to go down that particular route. And yeah, it's been exciting, interesting, allows me to go and uh, eat the best restaurants in different parts of the world, which is primarily yeah. why we set up a lot of yeah. our festivals. <laughs> What's the next thing we got? But it's amazing because you get to see so much of amazing stuff. You get to see a lot of shit as well, but you also get to see amazing stuff. And every time that uh, curtain goes up and, uh, you know, you, you see talent, which is blessed. Mm -hmm. Energy is like, wow, amazing. So for me, every day is a new discovery. Every city is, a, is an amazing new uh, challenge to discover, to integrate, to understand, to see their point of view. Uh, yeah. you know, amazing. Yeah. So uh, I, my, I went to college in uh, San Diego. In my uh -huh. university, we had like a, each, my university was split into six colleges and they all had different themes. So the one I ended up right. going to, our, our theme was culture, art and technology, CAT. Right. So right. I, w I was wondering, uh, what role do you think, because you're, you're in the business of showcasing India's art and culture and, and other cultures as well. What role do you think technology has played over these years that you've been doing this in, in, in helping you do this? So a couple of years ago when I was doing a, a talk at MIT's Media Lab about the next big idea mm -hmm. that would transform our society, I mean, this is what I, I said, you know, but industrial revolution is behind us, certainly places like India, et cetera, et cetera. We're not manufacturing economies anymore. But if you look into the, do a little bit of crystal gazing, and if you marry the diversity of places like India, mm -hmm. uh, you bring in design and technology, that's the new sunshine industry. And uh, if you look at the way the industry is taking in front of us, everything is going to be technology. I very rarely see the divide between the lip gloss. I've always believed that there's no difference between the arts and science. You need one to be able to build the other. Mm -hmm. You need a creative brain to be able to take a rocket up to the moon. Uh, you need uh, a scientific mind to be able to transform or translate an artistic vision into a creative vision, whether mm -hmm. it's the great architects of your or the great architects of today, the great design guys, whether it's in the arts and technology, all of it is one. Mm -hmm. And until unless we, we understand and appreciate how technology can help us especially create the design intervention um, uh, uh, into the creative diversity that we have mm -hmm. and also allow it as it has to become a, a great source of um, 
of universal accessibility. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and, and technology can do this at so many different levels. So really everything that we do, uh, we try, you know, more and more we use technology in the arts to, of course, simplify our processes, simplify our lives, but also enhance them, also expand them, also allow them to multiply, reach to people um, and and bring together uh, different strands of thoughts and ideas, etc. So in short, technology is the future. Without the arts, technology will die. Without technology, the arts will be hampered. Hmm. You uh, started J- uh, the Jaipur Literature Festival about 10 years or so ago, right? 11 years now. 11 yeah. years this now. The- and when from in the first year, I, I believe it was just a room of 200 or so people. And now it's over almost half a million a year at the event. In that journey, how have you seen literature, the content itself change over the years? So, you know, so I'll, so I, I'll, I'll separate this a little bit. In terms of the festival itself, again, it was an accident that was waiting right. to happen. And, you know, like most things, it, it, it's hap- it happened because of an accident and it's continued to grow in many ways because of that. And unlike what Harvard Business School teaches that, you know, we had a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. Yeah, and a None of that was true. Sure. You know, it, it's been an organic growth. Uh, having said that, we were very clear from day one that, and this is a philosophy that I've always had, that uh, in societies where there is an inequity, so America or Africa or Australia or India, the only way to bring about social change is through uh, education and knowledge. And we looked at the Jeopardy Festival as a vehicle or a platform. So we were very clear right from the beginning that that's what our intention was. Mm-hmm. And what is that? And, you know, we obviously, when we started off that first year, you know, standing out in a cold winter morning at nine o'clock, wondering whether we should remove some chairs from the Darbar Hall to right. uh, whether people would come. But they did come. And that first year, we had about uh, 7,000 foot came through. Year, it doubled that and so forth. Yeah, but, uh, you know, there was no sense that it would really uh, burgeon into this incredible, uh, you know, monster uh, program. And mm-hmm. what that done is, it's done a couple of things, was that it made literature sexy. You had 126 new festivals set up across uh, India, Nepal, Bangladesh, as far as the Bay Area Book Festival, mm. you know, Ubud and so on and so forth. So that's one thing allows you or a platform for more and more local writers and authors to come to the forefront. And even years ago, a best-selling English book would sell, you know, a bestseller, you'd sell three to 5,000 uh, copies of a hardback right. first edition. Today, to be a bestseller, you'd sell about a hardback to be a bestseller. So, you know, the, the volumes of trade has increased. The number of people writing has changed dramatically. I mean, last year, earlier this year, our youngest writer was 13 years and our oldest was 93. Both in our youngest writer is going to be 10 years old, hmm. you know, which she'd been coming five years, written a new book. So, and it's 
language is accessible to you know different kinds of people. It's in India and its literature across the world. It's placed us very much in the forefront of writing and thought and ideas, etc. The what role do you think uh, culture itself has in in feeding uh, uh, a region or country's creativity? So, you know, for a while I've been advocating that for any city to be a smart city, it has to be an art city. Hmm. And um, example, you know, in Singapore at one point of time when they had a lot of censorship and you, you know, they didn't necessarily want their people to think out of the box. They realized to work in after uh, in duty, innovation, etc. You need to be able to think, you need different kinds of influences, you need different strands. And without culture, especially by uh, Abu Dhabi, Hong Kong, and Singapore, when they started competing to becoming world cities, realized that the world city meant necessarily uh, that they had to look at the cultural component of it. Mm. And any city that derives that, whether it's Saudi Arabia, which is just now licensed film halls, for example, to the public, would be poorer uh, uh, if they did not give vent to local traditions and culture. So it's not just keeping alive, uh, you know, a particular tradition or a form but it's your very innate world of being, you know. And I remember once saying to a group of uh, folk senators in, in, in the U.S. when they were looking at cutting the NEA funding mm. that uh, they did cut funding to their institutions and the only culture America would be known for is a culture, you know. So, so culture is just as most governments think a handout. Mm-hmm. It is intrinsic. It's part of the fundamental of a society. It binds people together. It brings people together. It allows the window of opportunity into uh, into another space, another being, another history, work, another way of, um, you know, creativity. How have you? Um, how do you now personally uh, channel? your creativity besides the business of it what do you enjoy doing nowadays well you know i read a lot i read uh, across books I, at any given point of time i read four books at the same time mm-hmm. i still love theater so often i take an opportunity uh if my colleagues are willing to for me to direct a, a show or two which i do i still direct some of the bigger shows that we put together for mm-hmm. heads of state or you know, big occasions, etc. Right. Those are always exciting. But for me, you know, I do. There's no, you know, for me, it's not a nine-to-five job. Right. I do what I love, and I can do it twenty-four-seven. And everybody asks me, "How do you do so much, or how do you work for so many hours?" I necessarily see it as uh, as a way. My intent is to show that the arts can create. Uh, uh, tangible wealth. We know that it creates intangible wealth. Yeah. So yeah. 
So the final question that uh, I like to ask uh, all the guests that we have on the podcast is, uh, so I have a young audience, a lot of uh, people, school and college. So if, if you could imagine that there's a, there's a younger version of you listening to this, someone who, who thinks like you and, you know, what kind of little piece of wisdom or, or advice would you have for that kid as, as he or she is uh, figuring out a way to uh, explore their creativity? Follow your heart. Do what you have to do and do it well. Don't do stuff because somebody else has told you to do it. Do it because you have a volition to do that and do it to achieve excellence. And excellence comes not just with your ingenuity and your creativity, but hard work. So if you think you can get away with doing stuff in a slipshod uh, way, uh, you know, don't waste your time, go join retail or some other stuff. And uh, don't necessarily only listen to what your parents have to say in terms of advice. If your heart tells you this is what you want to do, well, give it a shot. You're young. What do you have to lose?